Government. We all know it's important to understand, be it state, local, or national, but doesn't the thought of it just make you want to, well, drink? If so, you're in the right place. I'm Angel Romero, your politics and pints aficionado, and this is Ballots and Brews, where we'll talk all things local beer while also diving into what in the world is happening at the local, state, and national government and what you can do about it. It's Schoolhouse Rocks meets the Daily Show meets C-SPAN, so let's get this show started. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Ballots and Brews. As always, we have a packed show tonight. We are going to be talking all things school boards uh, with Jackie Lightcamp with the Auburn-Washburn Board of Education. And we'll be talking about just what in the heck the Topeka City Council decided on a Tuesday night when it comes to their capital improvement plan. Uh, but first, before we get to any of that, we are going to talk beer. Um, and tonight we're actually excited because we have with us Nick Sargent, manager of the legendary Brass Rail Tavern in Topeka. Nick, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and this is a, a fun interview for us, of course. Lots of history here. You know, Brass Rail is known as Topeka's oldest bar. Can you tell us just a little bit about the rail's history? Yeah, it was started in 1933, uh, right at the very end of Prohibition. It used to be an actual a grocery store here in the Oakland community. Ah. And ever since then, it's been a you know the local local watering hole. Very cool. I, I appreciate how eager we were right after Prohibition was done. We're like, I got an idea. We're going to start a bar right here. That's it's pretty awesome. They need their priorities. Absolutely. Well, and of course, as, as folks that have been to the Rail Bell, it, it definitely has that, that neighborhood bar vibe. And, and, you know, lots of folks, I'm sure, you know, lots of regulars that, that you recognize from around the neighborhood. Oh, yeah, because I grew up around here. So I pretty much know almost anybody that walks through the door or at least know their family. Oh, that's awesome. Very cool. Uh, now, you know, back earlier in the year, uh, some folks hearts, you know, may have skipped the beat um, if they were reading the news um, and they saw, you know, at, at one point that it looked like uh, the brass rail was going to close, but that, that did end up happening. Can you tell us a little bit about how they were able to avoid that? Well, we shut down. We were Most of all, we were concerned about people's health and the owner was very scared because he has his own health limitations at times. And we want, I mean, it was, we just couldn't see us opening in the, staying open in the middle of this pandemic. Sure. But we just kept trying to get these PPE loans and they were going to big corporations and stuff like that. But basically we just kept filing, filing and filing and, and toward really at the very last minute, something came through and we were able to stay open. Awesome. Well, that's, that's, that's great to hear you guys got the, the assistance that, that you needed. Uh, and, you know, the, the, that's interesting thing too. We talk about the decision to, the cl- to close, you know, because of health concerns. Was that, was that a hard decision for you guys to come to? Yeah. I, I mean, we went round and round with it, trying to decide whether to close, try to reopen and, it's just it was one of those things that we don't want to get anybody to get sick, especially in our establishment. We tried opening for a month in July and first day off, one of our uh, regulars came up positive for the virus. And oh, it's, gosh. Like, it's just scary. Oh, absolutely. Well, and, you know, it's, it's, I, I think there was this was mentioned in an article a little while ago to you. Know, so, a lot of your regulars, some of your regulars are, are people who are, who are older, too. Um, and of course, that's a population that's pretty susceptible to the virus. Yes. Absolutely. Now, can you tell us where, where things stand now in terms of, of your guys' operations? We're at, we're open up full bore. As soon as the count, uh, Shawnee County said we can go, we went. We are open from 7 a.m. to 2 a.m. every day. Awesome. Very cool. And has business returned pretty much back to, to regular levels yet, you noticed? It's slowly getting there. We had a big event last weekend, which had a lot of people, but 
it's still we're still not getting the numbers we were before we closed. Sure, sure. Well, you know, you mentioned um, uh, events. And, you know, what kind of uh, are any specials that you have going on right now or any events that you have coming up that you want to talk about? Absolutely. May 1st is our annual Kentucky Derby party. It's probably the funnest party uh, of our year. We got the ladies wear the hats, the guys dress up. We have marble races, minnow races. We're all, you know, watching the race. It's a good time. Mint juleps are on special. <laughs> oh, of course, absolutely. That's that's awesome. Um, any other events that you're looking at beyond that? Oh, yeah. Actually, the week after that, we're doing a single de Mayo party. We're going to have a DJ out on the patio. All the okay. Mexican beers will be on sale, tequila specials. It'll be a good time. That's awesome. Uh, now, you know, of course, we talked about, you know, a little bit about the idea of uh, the Brass Rodeo really being a neighborhood uh, bar. Of course, you growing up there, can you talk a little bit about kind of what that establishment means really to the Oakland neighborhood? I mean, it's a place where locals can gather. I mean, I've been coming here for over 20 years now, and I'm only in my 40s. I mean, it's just a, a place where I go see my friends, see my family. I've had birthdays, funerals, everything I've celebrated in this bar. <laughs> Absolutely. I was going to say, uh, it, it, it sounds like, too, I think it's a place where, you know, again, since you have those those regulars and, and folks like that, you know, it's a place where you celebrate milestones and things like that for people also. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, you guys also have a really good location when it comes time to, of course, one of my favorite Oakland events, which is the Fiesta. Uh, that happens every summer. You guys are kind of at a prime location there. Unfortunately, they're, they're doing Fiesta virtually. It's usually a German Fest and Fiesta are our biggest events. Sure. We're, we're thinking about other ways not to step on the toes of German Fest or Fiesta, but since they're not have either one are, are not participating this year, we want to do a little bit of something to bring the community together. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. I think I saw Fiesta is doing like virtual food sales, I think, this year. Yeah, it's, it's drive by, it's drive through, you know, it's a food pickup, then they're just doing a couple of bands virtually, but. It's nothing like the, the Fiesta I grew up with. Oh, absolutely. That's because like, Fiesta's not Fiesta until it's like 125 degrees and you're eating like a burrito or something outside. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, you know, that might be a thing, you know, as people uh, drive by our Lady Guadalupe or, or Sacred Heart to pick something up, you know, maybe they could stop in uh, the brass around and have a beer or two before they get home. That was our hope. We're trying to get at least get some sense of community back for the fiesta this year. Absolutely. I was going to say, yeah, that, that word community, I think, is, is really the, the important word there. Uh, and, you know, the, of course, we talk about the Brass Rail being the oldest uh, bar in Topeka. You know, it's outlasted a lot of other places. What do you think's made it so successful? Just the family atmosphere. I mean, it really is like we are the bar of Oakland. I mean, I'm, it's it's Oakland. You think of Brass Rail, you're going to think of Oakland. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and I think for, for folks that have never been before, uh, yeah, I think you've got some memorabilia from other bars in Topeka, too. Is that right? Oh, yeah, he's got stuff from all the old Charlie Browns, all these old <laughs> bars. I, it's We got a big neon sign from Cousins, which I really miss Cousins. Ah. It's a great bar. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I was going to say, do you have, of all the you know, bars that have kind of come and gone in Topeka outside of, of Brass Rail, uh, is there a favorite one that, that you miss that you look back on? I was a big fan of Cousins. Um, I will be a big fan when the Goose opens back up. That was my little local watering hole when I lived over there. Oh, yeah. Now, remind, so, of course, this is one of those things where, where people aren't, aren't from Topeka. Like, what remind folks where Cousins uh, used to be? Cousins was on, uh, what was it, Kansas Avenue, right yeah. across from McDonald's. Yeah. From McDonald's on Kansas. Yeah, absolutely. I was, gonna say, I was trying to remember what's in that right I now. Kansas, no, they tore the bar. It, they tore it down. It's, oh, it's, okay. a, it's a lot right now. It's crazy looking. 
Oh gosh, it's, that's sometimes we should just do a segment just on, on the bars that used to exist uh, in Topeka, do some reminiscing of that sort of thing. Absolutely. Well, it's awesome. Well, you know, for folks who um, are are looking to come out to uh, Brass Row, looking to check it out, um, yeah, what, what should they what should they know? <laughs> Well, uh, we're every Tuesday night we're having trivia from seven to nine. It's a really fun time. Uh, um, also, every Thursday we're doing karaoke, which is always good. Oh my gosh! Nice, fun, young crowd in. Awesome. And on the weekends, we're going to try to get a couple more bands out. Um, usually, we'll put them back on the patio, and if we're doing something big, we'll close down the parking lot like we did and just have a big old bash. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I was going to say that, especially with the weather being nice and whatnot too. That's a great way for people just to hang out outside. Yes. Awesome. Um, and trivia nights was an hour. Those trivia nights that any particular kind of trivia or just kind of all it's ra- just ra- usually random pop culture. Nice. Very cool. So we got trivia Tuesdays. We got karaoke on Thursdays. We've got uh, usually every. I mean, just special events on the weekends. Sometimes we'll get a band in. Yeah. But we are definitely looking forward to our Kentucky Derby party. That's always the best part of the year. Awesome. Yep. So remind people one more time. So that's going to be May first. Is that right? May 1st, starting at noon. I think the race is until 5, but there's a lot of fun activities to do until then. Absolutely. So there you go, folks. May 1st at noon. Uh, if you haven't been to the Brass Grill, it's a great time to, to check it out. Start planning out your ladies. Start planning out your headgear now. Uh, for the guys, start looking for your fancy outfits. Or I guess look for your hats, too, if you want to also uh, <laughs> partake in that. Uh, Nick, anything else that you think folks should know about the, the rail? Oh, no, just um, we're. I just support any local bar right now. Everybody was struggling coming out of this, so it's nice to get some people to see some people again. It was especially last weekend we had the parking lot full. It was just amazing to see people coming together again. Absolutely, I was going to say, yeah, with, with folks uh, missing missing, you know, that human connection, that sort of thing, uh, and you know, the fact that you guys have outdoor space, I think is is important to know too. You know, so people can't people don't feel comfortable being inside. They have the outdoor space as well, which I think is important. Yep. Um, and, you know, thank you for, you know, the steps. I know that was a hard decision uh, for you all to, to close temporarily there, but I think it says a lot for, for you guys that you were really looking out for the health of your, your patrons, your customers also. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, Nick, hopefully we'll look forward to, to seeing you soon out there. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Hey, thank you. I very much appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for those of you listening out there, go ahead and stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break, but then afterwards we'll be back with your roundup where we'll recap uh, the latest craziness happening in our local and state government. Remember, you are listening to Ballots and Brews here on KSEP 75 Live Radio. You're listening to Ballots and Brews on KSCF Digital Radio Topeka. For advertising opportunities, please go to 785live.com. Thanks for tuning in. All right, everyone. It's that time of night. It is time for the Roundup, where we take a look at everything happening at the state and local levels of government. And we are going to get right to it, starting like we always do with good old Top City. And, man, y'all, the Topeka City Council had a meeting on uh, Tuesday night. Like, they had to actually put an intermission in the meeting. Like, that's when you know the meeting's gone on long enough, when they actually have to take a break for intermission uh, in the middle of the meeting. So they uh, talked about a couple big things. So starting off, they actually uh, gave us a perfect example 
example of, you know, we've, we've been talking about stuff going through the state legislature uh, over the last uh, couple of months, and this is a perfect example of something that's now passed the state legislature and made its way down to cities and communities and being implemented, and so you get to see uh, something come full circle, and that is Senate Bill 13. Um, this is a bill that we talked about earlier um, in the session, and it deals with property taxes, uh, because remember, other than Missouri, the only the other thing that we hate even more in the state of Kansas is property taxes. Uh, so the legislature passed Senate Bill 13. What this bill does is basically some legislators got together and said, hey, so we know what's going on in our cities. We see that people's property valuations um, are going up by quite a bit. And cities are making out pretty good on this deal uh, without having to quote unquote raise property taxes. Because here's the deal. Let's say you go in a home um, and you've got, of course, it valued at uh, one, one amount, one level, and you're paying your property taxes, and then your valuation comes, as it did for many folks this year, and you all of a sudden find um, that your house is worth a lot more. Um, well, that means that the county, good old Shawnee County, let's say that they're assessing a, a you know 5%, just to keep it simple, uh, uh, property tax on your property. They don't have to change that 5% at all, but all of a sudden, 5% of maybe 150 thousand dollars is more than five percent of a hundred thousand dollars and so by virtue of your property valuation going up the county is able to receive more of your tax dollars without ever having to change the tax percentage um, and so that's something that hasn't quite set well with some folks and so this bill was a, a way to uh, keep counties from doing that uh, at least a way to, for them to have some more conversations with their communities so what this bill says is that if a city uh, if a municipality is going to uh, raise their tax rate um, the next year. Um, and the key language um, in the bill is if they are going to uh, move their property tax rate um, beyond revenue neutral, revenue neutral being the key word that we'll talk about more here in a minute. Um, but if, uh, if a municipality is going to raise their property tax rate above what's considered revenue neutral in the next year, they have to have notice and a public hearing about that change. Um, and that public hearing has to be, of course, open to members of the public to come and discuss uh, with members of the city council, the governing body, um, a chance for them to um, have their feelings heard and to talk about what they feel, um, uh, how they feel about the issue. And then the city council has to take that feedback uh, into consideration before they can then vote um, to approve that property tax hike. Um, so it essentially puts a, a, an extra layer in that process and says, OK, counties, before you go on uh, to approve, any any hike in our property taxes, you need to hear from people about it. Um, and so, of course, this bill just did pass in this legislative session, and so now cities, including the city of Topeka, um, are working on uh, how exactly to uh, implement that. So they got a presentation Tuesday night of what that's going to mean for um, for the city of Topeka. You know, it's going to make some alterations um, to the city's budgeting process. Um, there are some um, some benefits to um, the bill to the city. You know, one of the things that legislators inserted into the bill um, as sort of a, a consolation um, for uh, for inserting this privilege or this uh, provision in the bill um, was they actually lifted the property tax lid. Uh, so the property tax lid is something that had been 
place for a little while and it is what it sounds like. It was a lid, it was a cap on the amount of property taxes that a city could levy on its citizens. Um, so in exchange for this kind of notice and hearing uh, provision that was put in about property tax increases, legislators did agree to remove the cap, remove the lid on how much property tax cities can levy on their citizens. So there's a little bit of, of give and take in the uh, sausage making uh, that occurred there to make the bill uh, come to reality. Um, so like I said before, the important distinction here is this whole concept of revenue neutral. Now the official definition of revenue neutral means, quote, a rate that is estimated to produce revenue for the next fiscal year equal to the revenue that would have been produced for the next fiscal year by the current rate if no revaluation had occurred. Makes perfect sense, right? Yeah, no, I didn't think so. Um, and let me just say, it is refreshing to see city council members struggle with something as much as I, an average citizen, struggle with. Um, so it was kind of interesting to watch them um, kind of grapple with what this uh, definition uh, means and whatnot. And so they basically came to a conclusion that, you know, if they looked at the property tax rate that was assessed last year um, for this current year, um, that that would essentially be their, ta- their uh, revenue neutral rate. Um, and so if they're going to, um, uh, if they're going to levy a uh, property tax that is in excess of what they approved last year, um, then they would ha- be subject to this uh, provision about needing to have a hearing um, on an increase in the uh, property tax. And so there's going to be a lot more conversation um, about this provision. This bill, actually, the provisions of this bill um, don't take effect, it looks like, until the next budget cycle, so until 2022. Um, so this was really Really just kind of a, a heads up, here's what's coming, you should be aware that this is happening kind of thing. Um, but it's something that they're going to have to uh, prepare for. So uh, just a little teaser of things to come in the future. Um, the next really big uh, discussion that City Council had uh, came on their Capital Improvement Plan, or the CIP, as remember the cool kids call it. Um, so as, as you all who are faithful listeners to this show know, we have been talking all about the CIP for the last couple months. Um, because the city council has been talking about. It's been a discussion item on the uh, council's agenda for several months. Um, and remember, the, the capital improvement plan, the capital improvement budget, this is that long 10-year plan um, that includes money for a variety of different projects, m- uh, many of which are big uh, infrastructure-type projects. So there's a lot of public works projects in here, a lot of utilities projects. We talked uh, a couple of shows ago about all the different kinds of road projects and road repairs that are included in this plan and so it's a big huge uh, 10 year kind of strategic uh, type uh, plan and so there's been lots of conversation about the different projects that are included in here and so it's been a discussion item on the council's agenda for the last several weeks and so tonight or Tuesday night uh, Tuesday night was the big night Tuesday night was the action night where they had finally moved the CIP off of the discussion docket and it was up for approval Um, so I do unfortunately have to tell you though Um, If you had your, yay, we passed the CIP champagne and confetti poppers ready to go, you might have to wait on that a little bit. And I know you all were ready to party. Um, But council members had some questions. And there's a a great article by Blaise Mesa in the uh, Capitol Journal um, that I encourage you to to read um, that details this um, in in more detail. Um, But essentially, you know, we just talked about uh, 
budget stuff. And so the city council had heard uh, a quarterly update uh, on the city's budget. Um, and as part of that update, um, there is a list of different uh, kind of large-scale projects um, that the city um, had or had, is working on or has plans to work on, that sort of thing. Um, and many of those projects are uh, public works projects or road projects. And it was out, actually Councilman uh, Tony Emerson, he gets the award for this, um, who was reading through that uh, budget and said, hey, wait a minute, I, time out, I got a question. So there's projects in the city budget that are accounted for in this quarterly update that are the same projects that are already, that are also included in the capital improvement plan budget. Now keep in mind the CIP is also a part of the city budget. And so he goes, I have, he, he had some questions uh, because it essentially looked to city council members then as they started having this uh, discussion, first off, some people's minds got blown. Um, and then what, what started to become evident or what some people started to think was it looks like we're, it looks like we're double dipping. It looks like we've got projects that are in the CIP uh, to be approved in this long-term 10-year plan, but they're also projects that have already been approved for funding. And so are we just just adding more money? Are we just uh, approving another round of money when we've already approved money for the projects? And so there's concern that there's a disconnect happening and that we're unintentionally duplicating projects and then, of course, uh, duplicating budgets uh, within the, the, the city budget. And so this uh, went down a rabbit hole real quick uh, at the city council meeting and the poor city council uh, finance, the poor city finance staff um, that were on the call um, went through great, great lengths to try and explain how this all works. Um, and to be, uh, to be real honest, it is a very um, technical and, and kind of mundane um, issue, but really it relates to how the city's finance system tracks projects. Um, and, you know, there are different points in time that the city finance staff enters projects in the city's accounting software. And so just because something appears on the city's uh, budget update doesn't necessarily mean that project has started or been initiated yet. Uh, so you could see a road repair project in that budget update that is uh, uh, projected or that looks even like it's underway, uh, but it's really not. It might have just been input into the system. Um, but so it looks like it's underway, but it's really not. So that money actually really hasn't been spent or even out allocated yet. So it's okay that it's in the CIP, but in some cases it might not be. And this was the confusion that went on back and forth between city staff and city council members. And city staff admitted that this has been a point of, of confusion for uh, for several years. I think it was actually Councilwoman Hiller uh, who said that she's had the same concern um, in past years about it, how it looks like we are duplicating projects in its budgets, when in some cases we're really not. It's a software issue, uh, or it's an issue of how uh, our accounting software keeps track of projects, but it looks like we're spending the same money twice, even though we really might not be. Um, and so the city council said, okay, so let's, uh, let's time out. Let's push this back um, to May 11th to vote on. And in, in between time, city staff, can you go through um, your software and can you sort some of this out for us? Can you let us know, okay, are these projects really accounted for already or are they not? Um, and so uh, the poor, poor finance staff at the city is going to have a lot of work to do um, in the next uh, couple of weeks to sort all this out. But you guys, that's the fun part about these meetings. Like it's really technical and nitty gritty work, but this is the actual work of making 
making your your city happen. Um, and so that's why these city council meetings are so fun to watch, y'all. You get to see city government live in in, in action. Um, and we're talking about big big things. You know, we're talking about projects like um, the uh, uh, repair of Urish Road from 21st to 29th Street, uh, which is in real uh, need of repair. Um, you know, projects uh, like the extension of or the uh, uh, renovation of Huntoon um, going west from Wanamaker out to uh, Urish Road to finish kind of basically extend those improvements that were done in the uh, in earlier portions of Huntoon. So we're talking about some really big uh, road repair projects. And so the mechanics of how this all happens um, it occurs in conversations like they had Tuesday night about the CIP. So I know I'm getting all super nerdy on you all. So I'll stop now. But that's why these meetings are so cool and important to, to watch. Um, the other conversation um, that they had as well was um, about money, uh, about COVID relief money, or, or, or more importantly, actually, money that came in the American Rescue Plan um, that was recently passed by Congress. Uh, Topeka is going to get about $47 million through the American Rescue Plan that is earmarked specifically for infrastructure type projects. Um, and so there's also, in addition to the other kind of confusion uh, that just came up, uh, city council members were also wondering, so how much of that $47 million of outside money can be put towards some of these projects that we might be looking at in the CIP, um, in the city budget? Can we defer some of that money um, uh, that we would spend for the city dollars um, in lieu of having this, uh, or uh, in favor of have, using some of these federal dollars that we're gonna get? Um, and so city staff is gonna look into to that some more as well. So all that to say, May 11th is the day that you need to save your champagne and your confetti poppers for. Uh, so May 11th will be the day that they take that up. Um, the other bigger conversation they had at the meeting Tuesday. Um, it was not an action item, it was just a discussion item. Um, but the downtown Topeka master plan uh, that we talked about recently um, that got passed by the planning commission, um, this was its next step was to go to the city council for approval. Um, the council had as a discussion item on their agenda to um, receive a presentation and to review the plan. And so good old Bill Fyander, director of planning, um, hopped on and gave the city council the same presentation essentially that was given to the planning commission, kind of walked them through. Uh, what that plan uh, looks like. You know, he emphasized some similar things we talked about before, you know, the real diversity that's within the plan um, in turn, and, you know, so that's really key to making uh, these pro the downtown master plan work is it's a real diversity of, of projects um, and and, uh, and things that are included within the plan. Um, and they opened up, of course, for uh, questions from the city council members. And the city council members had some, uh, some interesting kind of insightful takes on it. Um, you know, one of the questions this came from Councilwoman Nager, um, and of course, she represents the district that College Hill sits in. Um, and, you know, folks who've been around Tobeka for a little while can remember the College Hill redevelopment um, and some of the fallout uh, from that project. And so uh, Councilwoman Nigger asked, you know, is um, in, in uh, this downtown redevelopment work, um, is this a build it and they will come kind of project? Or what does that look like? And um, uh, Mr. Fanders' answer is interesting. He said it's a build it as they come approach. And so so he goes, yeah, we definitely don't want to be building things in the hopes that people arrive. You know, we want to meet people's needs where they're at. Um, and so they're really looking at taking a uh, much more measured approach to that redevelopment uh, to avoid um, some of the, the uh, kind of
kind of boondoggles, for lack of better word. That's a word. Boondoggle is not a word we use enough, y'all, but boondoggle, we're gonna go with that. Uh, like uh, College Hill, where you build and, and redevelop and build these great looking places that people then end up not actually moving into um, and uh, end up not being used. Um, and so that was uh, her question to city staff. Um, they also had questions, um, uh, surprisingly, a couple of questions actually about environmental issues and you know what kind of green um, uh, spaces will be included in the plan, what kind of environmental efficiencies, energy efficiencies um, are going to be utilized in the master plan, which was interesting. Uh, and then there was some discussion, uh, as always, about a downtown grocery store that continues to remain a hot topic uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to downtown redevelopment. So there is some conversation there. So again, just a discussion item now. Um, it will go for a vote, a vote for approval um, at a future city council meeting. Uh, so then kicking things across the parking lot to the county, uh, there's a quieter week on the county commission agenda, but one thing that has not been quiet in Shawnee County is COVID-19. Uh, so just your weekly COVID update as of today, Thursday, April 22nd, 31% of Shawnee County's population is fully vaccinated, uh, which is, again, we are making progress, but we are still not even halfway to the point of the estimated herd immunity, that 70% estimate um, that we need uh, for herd immunity from the vaccine. So we still have a long way to go um, in that fight. Uh, we are also continuing in Shawnee County to win races that nobody wants to win. Um, we uh, There's an article in, in CJ uh, just said earlier today or yesterday um, that said that all five variants of COVID-19 are now present in Shawnee County. Uh, that is not the kind of tourism that we are hoping to uh, attract in Shawnee County in Topeka. Um, and so, of course, we knew that there were several cases, and now I think we're up to like 33, 35, some cases of the UK variant um, in Shawnee County. We've got the Brazil variant here now. I think the South Africa one is the other one. We've got the whole world, uh, literally, of COVID variants now represented in Shawnee County. Um, so that is why it is still, still remains more important than ever to get your COVID-19 vaccine. Something that's really important to know, we're actually trying to make that even easier for people. So listen up, go ahead and put your beer down for one minute and grab a piece of pen, a pen and a piece of paper, or what am I saying? I'm talking about like it's 1900. Grab your phone uh, to type some things in your phone um, because the Kansas State Historical Society, the Kansas History Museum folks up off of uh, off of 6th Street, um, they are offering every Thursday and Friday until the end of May, they are offering a walk-in clinic uh, to get your COVID-19 vaccines. I'm going to say that again, a free walk-in clinic uh, for your COVID-19 vaccines. You do not need an appointment. So all you millennials or Gen Z folks, those people who, who have like an aversion to scheduling things ahead of time, uh, this is your this is your moment uh, to get your COVID-19 vaccines. You do not need an appointment uh, to go. You can literally walk into Kansas History Museum every Thursday and Friday until the end of May from 8.30 to 4.30 each day. You can get your uh, vaccine. It's open to anyone 18 and over, um, and they are the Moderna vaccine. So if you have your heart set on Pfizer for some reason, sorry, you're getting the Moderna one. Um, but hey, that means that you're not going to have to Zoom for the rest of your life. So, you know, trade-offs. Um, but again, every Thursday and Friday until the end of May from 8.30 to 4.30, you can stop by the Kansas Museum of History and get your shot and get it done. So pass that word on. Share it far and wide with everyone that you know.
And lastly, uh, we'll, we'll give a little update on what's happening over at the state capitol. Um, we still, uh, life still is good because legislature is still out of town. Um, they return back for their veto session until May 3rd. Um, but speaking of veto session, uh, Governor Kelly got that veto pen nice and warmed up today. Uh, and she proceeded to uh, vote uh, to veto uh, a couple different bills today. Um, one was actually the bill we talked about recently um, that bans transgender students from sports. Um, that bill got a hearty veto um, from the governor today. Um, she also vetoed the bill that we talked about earlier that would require a high school civics test um, for high school graduation uh, as a requirement for high school graduation. Uh, she also vetoed a bill that would have installed a NRA sponsored uh, gun safety curriculum in schools. Um, and so those trio of bills um, got vetoed today. And here's the kicker. None of those bills passed the legislature by a veto-proof majority. Uh, so when the legislature comes back into town on May 3rd, they're going to have a fight on their hands um, to convince enough of their colleagues to override those vetoes. Uh, the governor did uh, also veto um, a little earlier in this month um, the massive tax reform bill um, that we talked about um, recently that kind of became a Christmas tree over time um, in the, as it passed through both chambers of the legislature. Um, you know, it was a bill that actually included some things that Democrats and the governor wanted too, um, but then legislative Republicans um, stripped out some of the um, measures that would have actually paid um, for the tax cuts that happened in that tax reform bill. So the governor vetoed that bill um, and then issued this statement saying, for very obvious reasons, I have lived through the Brownback tax experiment. I saw what irresponsible fiscal policy did to our state. It devastated our agencies, undermined our social safety net. It reminded us to remove all, it required us to remove all funding for infrastructure programs. And then most obviously, really underfunded our schools. I can't let that happen again. Uh, now, the trick to that veto is the legislature actually does have the, rides, the votes to override that veto. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens um, after May 3rd when the legislature returns. Uh, one interesting uh, side note, the governor did sign a bill um, into law just the other day that was actually passed legislature uh, pretty healthy margins. It's actually a bill that would allow military spouses uh, who have occupational licenses um, to apply for a license um, in the state of Kansas after they move here um, at a much faster clip than they used to um, be able to. Essentially, you know, every all those kinds of occupational licenses out there, you know, those ones that come from the Board of, of Healing Arts and those kinds of, of state boards, um, they all have residency requirements before you can get a license in the state of Kansas. Um, and of course, when you're in the military and you're moving all around, as my family did when I was growing up, um, you may not have a lot of time to establish that residency. Um, before you have to leave again. And so this bill drastically shortens those uh, residency requirements so that military spouses can, can get to work faster. Um, and so that's a big deal for uh, military families um, to be able to let their spouses be able to continue to work um, who have those kinds of, of licenses. So that was kind of a cool thing uh, that passed. Um, and then last, of course, speaking of the governor, um, there are at least two people that would like Governor Kelly's job. Um, we're talking, of course, about former Governor Jeff Collier and uh, current Attorney General uh, Derek Schmidt. Uh, former Governor Collier actually kicked off his uh, campaign officially. I think he's, I feel like he's kicked it off like three times, but like earlier this week was like the official, official uh, kickoff of his campaign. He actually appeared with Senator Roger Marshall, uh, who endorsed him uh, formally at that event. Uh, this was part of a little uh, kind of back and forth that the two of them had. So Jeff Collier actually endorsed uh, Roger Marshall early on in his Senate race um, uh, back 
during the last election, and so they apparently made like a pinky promise or something that then Marshall would come back and endorse Collier, which he came through on. Um, Derek Schmidt, for his part, um, it's funny, he put out a statement that was a little sassy and said that, well, you know, it's good on, basically said that, you know, it was good on Roger Marshall for uh, sticking to his his, his word and, and his deal that he made with Jeff Collier, uh, but then went on to uh, make the case about why he feels that he's still, Derek Schmidt, um, is still a better choice and, and um, a more consistent conservative um, than uh, Mr. Collier, as that's going to be the battle in that uh, primaries, who really is the more, uh, the true conservative in that race. So, many more interesting moments to come when it comes to the gubernatorial campaign. Uh, so that, folks, is it for our roundup, but stick around because we are so, so excited. Right after this break, we are back with Jackie Lightcamp, a member of the Board of Education uh, for Auburn Washburn Public Schools. We're so excited to talk with her and, and visit a little bit more about the role of school boards in our community. So that'll be back um, after the break. Remember, you're listening to Ballots and Brews here on uh, KSA 785 Live Radio. All right, well, welcome back, everyone. We are so excited for our next guest because we get to talk school boards again. Uh, you know, as we discussed before, school boards are often some of our hardest working local elected officials, um, and we are excited to have uh, one of the mem- uh, their members with us tonight. Uh, we are so excited to have Jackie Lightcamp, who is a member of the Board of Education for Auburn Washburn Public Schools with us tonight. Jackie, thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, thanks, Angel. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, just as we get started, Jackie, why don't you tell us a little bit kind of about your, your background? Sure. So I am uh, born and raised in Kansas. I actually was born in the tiny town of Hiawatha, which is just north of Topeka a little bit. Uh, we moved to Topeka when I was in uh, the end of first grade. So I, I went from second to second grade all the way to high school here. and um, graduated from Topeka West uh, many years ago, many, many years ago, (laughs) and um, went went away to college. I did what a lot of folks do. (laughs) I went away to college, left left the state, um, went went just not too far. I went to Oklahoma uh, and graduated from college. Then I got married, and we traveled around, so I was gone for 25 years. Um, Came back to Topeka in 2015, and this time had my husband and had two kids with me. So um, uh, Topeka has always kind of felt like home to me. I would say not always. Uh, when I was younger, I probably <laughs> didn't think so. But sure. as I got older, I come to, I came to see what Topeka offered. And um, I enjoyed growing up here. I've, I felt it was a good experience. So I wanted to provide that for my kids. And, and it was fortunate we were able to get jobs here. And, and that, that worked. So coming back to the community was um, kind of just in many ways like, kind of picking back up uh, where we belonged but uh, where we left off but also also very uh, you know things have changed too so but yeah it's it was it was a good feeling to come back absolutely I was gonna say it's always great to have people come back uh, you know we hear that story a lot especially when people uh, leave for college or leave kind of start their careers we, we see a lot of people making their way uh, back over time Yes, yes. And I, I was glad to do it when I did it. That's awesome. Now, do you want to talk about too, what do you do when you're, of course, when you're not on the board? What do you do for your day job? Uh, 
Yeah, so I work right now for the League of Women Voters of Kansas, and I have been doing this, um, working as a paid employee for about three years. And then before that, I was a volunteer with the League. Mm -hmm. It is a largely volunteer-led organization. So um, I do advocacy work, help with, I just, kind of a jack-of-all-trades because uh, I'm, again, the only paid employee. So um, I get to do a lot of of different fun things, learn about the state, learn about ways to help help our um, citizens vote and be educated voters. And I just really enjoy that work. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it can also be frustrating, um, (laughs) especially, especially during this time of year, it can be a little aggravating trying to keep track of everything going on in our legislature. But um, overall, I just really enjoy that work. And it has allowed me to, to meet so many folks in the community and in the state that really are working to to make Kansas um, the, the kind of place that I want, I'm proud to live in. That's awesome. And, and we should clarify, too, um, just uh, because we know, of course, what things that have gone on in the state legislature. And so we should clarify that you are not part of a, a dark, shadowy underworld of <laughs> operatives that are working to, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes. It, the League of Women Voters is a nonpartisan organization, and we never endorse or um, uh, promote candidates, nor do we... Uh, campaign against candidates that we just don't do that. So um, our, our goal is always and exclusively to provide quality civic education for the community and to provide a way for folks to register to vote, remind people to vote, a lot about voting. Um, but but all of our issues are arrived at on a not in a nonpartisan manner and done after many, many months of thought and study. So we um, have been around 100 years. We're not going anywhere. And um, we're hopefully can get that word out there a little bit better that we're uh, not nothing to be scared of. here. We're actually here for the good of all. Absolutely. absolutely. That's, really, that's, that's great. I'm glad you were able to, to talk more about that. And this is also a lesson everyone out there uh, learning. Careful when you volunteer for an organization because you may end up working there one day. <laughs> that is exactly true. Yes. <laughs> that was the case for me and my job too. So you just never know some days. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, given your, you know, your, your talk about your background and kind of what you do professionally, and so of course have a, a busy and full life going on. So what made you decide to want to add to that by uh, running for a school board? Well, you know, things in life, sometimes circumstances in life uh, cause you to do things you never thought you would do. Um, when my, when I had kids, I, I worked part time. I kind of took a step back from a career career. I, my background is actually in advertising and communications, but I took a break so that I could, um, work part time and be home more with the kids. And I also got involved with my kids' schools. So my oldest is now, um, almost 17. And when he started kindergarten, I was going to be, you know, the PTO mom, uh, be involved and be very active. And we actually lived in Iowa at the time when he started school. So different, different, different area, different school system. But I started to see that the school we were at was actually quite a large, um, it was a large district and it was, had a lot of economic, socioeconomic disparities. Mm -hmm. And the school that we were at was in a a part of town that was largely minority. And that was a new experience for our family to be, to be um, a white family in the midst of that. So um, I wanted to be involved, but what I found was it was challenging because of the economic disparity at our school. I saw some of those things firsthand that honestly, the, the part of town that a school was in could impact the quality of education that a student received. And I, I 
was just, again, a baby at all of this stuff. Didn't really know how that affected. I was there to do fundraisers and things, but I started to learn more. And then when we moved to Topeka, again, a community that I felt I knew quite well, even though I'd been gone for a while, I'd been keeping up with things. Um, I started observing the school board because it seemed something that was interesting to me as a league member. We observe those kinds of gatherings. So I started observing. And as I was observing, I thought, hey, you know, I could do that. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I was also involved, of course, in the PTO here at our school, which, uh, again, very different socioeconomic background than what we were back in in Iowa. The neighborhood was quite different, but still some of the similar issues. So I decided to um, oh and then the 2016 election happened <laughs> and so I kind of thought Jackie you know what you were gonna wait till your kids were out of school but I think now might be the time right. and fortunately I had developed some good relationships with with some people on this uh, people who knew people on the school board because of my observing and I was able to connect and found out that a person who had the seat in the area where I live was going to be leaving that seat. So I visited with him, kind of got his blessing, so to speak, to, you know, see, yeah, yeah, you should really do this. You should run. And so I did. I I decided to kind of take the leap and and run. So I did that. uh, 2017 was when I uh, ran for the seat. Awesome. Very cool. Well, you know, as you uh, as you got started on that that campaign process, was there anything that that surprised you as you started the campaign? Well, when I started the campaign, it had been held by uh, that that particular seat had been held by someone for a few years. So I was a little and again, because I'd been I was I knew Topeka so well, but people didn't necessarily know me because I had been gone for a while. So I felt that there were some some introducing myself that I needed to do to people. And that um, was for me that involved just trying to go to as many of the PTO meetings as I could that were in at the various schools and I was able to go to all but one. Unfortunately, I didn't get to go to one because of a snow issue that happened. But, uh, um, yeah. So that was, it was very different than what I guess I thought campaigning would be, which was going to be more door to door and more, you know, handing out brochures. And of course I did have some of those materials, but I ended up not having an, an opponent. So that obviously, uh, obviously changed the way I would have campaigned had I had an opponent, but I still think I would have done what I did. I think, the best thing was just getting to know folks and for a school board race that's I think good advice just um, to get to know people as best you can um, and I think I I did that pretty well the PTO was I know not not everybody goes to those PTO meetings but in our school districts in our particular school district I should say um, the parents are very involved so it was a good way to, to introduce myself to folks back then absolutely well and I imagine too you know it's one of the things of course that comes with being a school board member so there's just a lot of a lot of stuff to know about there's you know a, a whole myriad of issues so I imagine going to those PTO meetings probably helped you get a kind of a good sense of what was going on kind of throughout the district definitely yes for Very sure cool. well and you know as you so of course you, you get elected and, and begin your work so you know as you've been going along what do you think's been the your favorite part of the job and what do you think is probably the hardest part of your job 
Well, my favorite part by far is when we get to do celebrations that involve students and our schools and, you know, just the amazing work that they do. Um, For example, just this morning, our Auburn Washburn Public School Foundation had uh, a virtual spring breakfast. So Uh typically we meet in person, which is one of my favorite events when we get to do that. But we couldn't. So we did a YouTube video, still got to honor our students, got to feature some of our talented musicians and um, show off some of our cool activities that classrooms are doing. So we still got to do that via YouTube. Not quite the same as being in a room with folks, but I I like those kinds of events where where we get to really recognize um, the community and and find out, uh, you know, the different stories. You know, every one of our students and families has a different story. And the way for me to hear those is, is to get to go to events like that. So those are awesome. They've been they've been few and far between this year, obviously. Right. I know. <laughs> so this, this year's different. Um, we are looking forward to graduation. That's a really fun time too. Yeah. So um, that is going to be not quite normal this year, but a little more so. So we're getting there. We'll get there. Absolutely. Um, so those are some of my favorite. Now, did you ask the least favorite as well? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I, if you'd asked that question 14 months ago, <laughs> <laughs> right. I would have said. Well, you know, there's not really a whole lot that I don't like. Um, so it's changed a lot, um, to, to put it mildly. Um, it, is ch- it has been challenging this year to, to balance the amount of data, uh, pro and con, be it mask, social distancing, um, remote learning, hybrid learning. Um, uh, oh, my goodness. The, the amount of things that we have had to to look at and focus on this year have been overwhelming. Um, So that has been the hardest. And and I I honestly don't know that any, if I go, if I continue to serve in this role, which I hope I do, I want to continue, but if I I don't think I will ever hopefully have a year like this last year, this will obvious always hopefully be the hardest time. Um, So I know that I, you know, it's not much of a yardstick to compare things to, but (laughs) It has been very, very challenging. Sure. You know, what do you think has been as you've tried to kind of sort through, uh, you know, all that data and, and all those considerations? You know, what do you think has, has helped you in that? I think having a board like our board, which we really do support each other, I think that mm. has been so helpful. We um, we don't always agree on on necessarily the right path forward um, at at, be, at the beginning, possibly. You know, we might have different ideas, and we come obviously we all have different experiences, but. I think ultimately we have come to uh, value each other and each other's uh, information gathering and trust each other that we all know we come from a place of wanting to make the best decisions for our students. Sure. The challenging part of this year is that no matter what decision we make, half the people approve and half don't. Right. It's, it's never been like that before. Uh, even in my, you know, one term that I've had so far, <laughs> almost a full for full one term. So I think for me, I'm a pretty balanced person in general. I'm, I'm kind of a, um, I take a lot of information in. That's my, that's my MO. I just gather information and then I look at, I kind of just read through it all. I wade through it. I look at things I don't agree with. I look at things that I do agree with. I try to come to some sort of consensus, but I always try to then keep 
the focus on what is in the best interest of our students and our staff and our community. Sure. That is all part of it. So our community, the, you know, the Auburn Washburn community, but also the Topeka community and then the Shawnee County community, because we are part of that as well. So it's a lot of balancing. It's a lot of, of weighing, um, you know, and, and, Sometimes the, the, the balance is very close. Like there's sure. just one tiny thing that puts one thing over another. Otherwise, I would have thought this other way. So right. there's so many things. And in, in, in hearing from our also then we have to listen to our staff and our teachers that are in the schools and, yeah. and our students and knowing. And then we need to knowing what they're going through every day to teach classes. Then we need to listen to our parents. So there's all that firsthand experience data and input in addition to the experts and all of that that we listen to. So it's a lot. Absolutely. Well, and, and I'm sure you at times it probably felt like you know, you're, you're picking the least worst option. Sometimes it, it feels like. Yeah, sometimes it definitely does. And sometimes, you know, sometimes in, like we had a decision this year that um, I did not end up voting with the, the, the group. I was one vote that dissented, but I made it clear that I respected the decision the others made. I knew it was from a, they still cared. I knew they didn't make that decision because of any ill will. That was just, we had different opinions on something and it was one small part of it that I didn't, dis- that I didn't agree with, you know, sure. which is why I didn't vote with them. So we all respected each other. They all thanked me for sharing my opinion because, you know, in our, in our district, the opinions were varied as well. So we sure. we have to represent that aspect of it at, at, at times, too. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that would probably be a good lesson for other units of government as and, well. <laughs> well. You know, I honestly, I mean, I, I think that if, if uh, I know there's lots of opinions on what school boards have done this year, but I think if you would compare our process to that of, of some of our other institutions uh, in our state, I think I wouldn't hold a candle to anybody. I mean, this is, we have, I felt we've been transparent. We've done the best we could do with the information we had at the time. And, um, that's the, that's honestly the best we can do absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> in this situation. So, sure. yeah. Yeah. What's, if there's one thing, you know, that you wish everyone knew about being the role, uh, as a, uh, being a school board member, what, what do you wish that people knew? Yeah, well, I think at the beginning when I started, <clears throat> what I would have said is, and it's still true, is that what you see on the surface is just a fraction of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's not a lack of transparency. That's just the way organizations are, right? You You get part of an organization and you learn, oh, there's all of these other things going on. Yeah. And our district is a really good district, so there's nothing there's nothing under you know C D going on. It's just that there's there's people involved and there's programs involved and there's laws we have to follow and there's reasons for all of the decisions that happen. So for a decision that might seem on its appearance as simple as we need to approve our capital outlay budget, right? That particular decision underneath it, we, kind of, we call it the iceberg, you know, the image of the iceberg, <laughs> right. right? You see the image of the iceberg, but underneath it, there's all of these other factors that go into making that decision. It's, so it's, it's very complicated underneath, um, but that's part of what I'm elected to do, right? Is right? To look at all of that, look at all parts of it. So I think I would just tell people that it's not always uh, what you see 
as a surface level. You know, there's always other things happening that we have to consider before making a decision. And I think I knew that to a small extent, but I don't think I gathered it (laughs) fully until being in this, in the, in that role for a while. So I would say that's it. Um, and a lot of what we do is mundane. Um, I think this year we've been, you know, we have a YouTube channel now where people watch (laughs) our school board meetings and some of these got a lot of views. We're, we're here all the time, you know, twice a month, all year long. And often our meetings are very dull (laughs) and, you know, I find it interesting because that's an area I'm interested in, but to the average watcher, it's not that interesting, but, um, you know, people can come anytime. Yeah. People can watch anytime. We welcome participation. And and in fact, that's made us, I think, function better this year is that we have had so much feedback from people that we don't usually get that much of. Absolutely. So. See, it's, uh, my, my, my little civics heart you know, loves the fact that almost you know, every level of government is now on YouTube or is somehow mm-hmm. broadcasting their, their meetings. So I think you're right. I think people are, people have so much more accessibility and ability to, to see what's going on and to, to follow along. So I hope that continues even after the, the pandemic's gone. I, Ours is going to, you know, that was another thing. We, we were not live streaming before this mm. and we, we were kind of forced to do it because we needed to, in right. order to, to, to be accessible. But now I think it's it's an ex- expectation, and I don't think that it's going anywhere. Absolutely, that's so. Those of you listening uh, uh, there at home, there you go. Just know you will have <laughs> the ability to watch any of those meetings probably forever. So get excited! Yes. They're yeah. not going anywhere. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, well, uh, last one, policy kind of question that I'll ask. Of course, school funding um, is something that we all know continues to be uh, a challenge. Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of what that looks like right now? Yeah, what are some of the the challenges? Um, um, that that means for you as a board member when you're trying to assess um, funding levels at your schools right now. You know, how do those, how do drops in funding um, impact your district and, and how you're uh, moving forward? Well, a drop in funding is is a drop in support to our students. Sure. I mean, that's that's what it equals. And I I think that um, I mean, I was a big public school proponent before all of this. Uh, I have I come from a line of public school teachers, so <laughs> I I've always been very supportive of public schools. But the more that I learn about funding. Um, well, first of all, the more complicated I understand that it is. I still don't have like an elevator speech of how school funding works, but um, I know well enough to know that when the legislature starts talking about lowering, you know, the base aid per pupil, or when they start talking about possibly using special COVID related funds to help fund education, or when they start talking about um, using a education credit program that lets people put their students, take them from a public school and put them in a private school with that same money, that there's that directly affects the way in which our schools can meet the needs of our students. Sure. Less funding means there's less for our staff also to fund our, our, we have to have staff. We have to have teachers and counselors and psychologists and um, coaches um, to help with the sports programs and um, and the staff, the support staff, and then this year, of course, the nurses, the health staff, right. and, goodness, I'm, and bus drivers and food service workers, all of those staff, people, I think that aren't, I've heard it criticized, oh, the schools spend too much on administration and mm. staff. Those staff are what keep our schools going. And those are the folks that help make sure we have the programs that best meet the needs of all of our students. So 
yeah, I'm pretty, pretty strongly about that, <laughs> that a decrease, any kind of a decrease in funding to education uh, will indirectly and directly both affect the quality of education. It's not so much that money equals um, quality. It's that the money funds the program, the people who create the programs that meet those needs. So uh, there's nothing wrong with funding our schools at 100%. I think there's a concern, well, they spend too much. And I have never once seen any school that spends too much money on anything. Uh, I mean, in our district, I'm going, I'm going to speak for my district, right. but we are, we run our, our finances prudently and, um, and Again, it's all about the students. That's what it's that. That's what we're here for, and that's what that's what that budget lets us do. Absolutely. Well, and you know, I, I think one of the, the side effects or things that I think might come out of COVID nineteen too is is I hope people have understood that that school is much more than just school for many students as well. Uh, it provides yep. so many other uh, uh, fulfills so many other needs for students. I think that's something that the pandemic has kind of laid bare for lots of people to to understand this time. Yeah, it is true. And I think I, for a while at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I would say a year ago, there was a great sense of, oh, we're so thankful for schools. We're so thankful for our teachers. They do such hard work because parents were having to, you know, be at home with the kids and take, do more of this work. And and I get that. But, you know, uh, honestly, a year later, I think we've forgotten some of that appreciation and we need to get some of that back because those teachers uh, and staff have had a tough year. I mean, so of our families. I mean, it's been hard for everyone. Absolutely. But I think we just have to keep that in mind that um, teachers and staff and administrators, they do this year round. And it's obviously much, much more than just the book learning. It's it's the whole package. That's what we need our schools for. Absolutely. Well, Jackie, before you get out of here, as a, a school board member, you know, one of the things we always like to do when we have folks on is play a little game. And so uh, today we have a lightning round uh, game to play with you. If that works for you? Yep. Great. Awesome. Well, and of course, uh, given your affiliation with the school board, these are all school-themed <laughs> questions. Uh, yes. So our, our first question is, what was your favorite subject in school? My favorite subject in school, and I'm thinking high school, was like English and French. I couldn't decide, but those were my favorites. Nice. That's a good, that's a good combo. English and French. Very yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, your favorite teacher? Connected to the English was Mrs. McDonald, my junior uh-huh. English teacher at BS. Loved her, and she helped me want to be better at writing, and she also helped me want to learn more about women and their place in the world. And um, so she was just a very uh, great role model, great teacher. Oh, that's awesome! That's very cool to hear about that that lasting impact she's had on you. Uh, yeah. Your favorite school lunch that you had. <laughs> Well, you know, honestly, the one thing that popped into my mind when you first said that is pizza. Yes. Everybody, everybody looked forward to pizza day. Uh, honestly, I look at it now and I think, eh, I look forward to that. But, you know, <laughs> at the time, it seemed like the best day of the week. So, so was it, did you guys have like the rectangle shape? Correct. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Totally. The re- oh, yeah. It had to be. And we always had like, I know, we always had like cottage cheese served with ours, which seems like the yes. weirdest combination. The side dishes are odd. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, what did you be, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, this was so hard, and this is definitely not lightning round, because I wanted to be so many different things. I wanted oh, to be a sure. teacher. I wanted to be an attorney. Then I wanted to be president, and then I, I ended up majoring in public relations, and I ended up using okay. that degree for lots of things. But I would say the one thing I probably really wanted to do is I wanted to just, like, 
be involved in making the world better in some way. And I didn't know how in, <laughs> in, in, in one particular career. So I just thought I'd try it, you know, I'd, I'd just be involved in lots of different things and try to do that wherever I am. Hey, there you go. That, that totally, that's a pretty good aspiration. I think that, I think that works out pretty well. That's awesome. But of course, yeah. finally, because this is Valentin Bruce, we always have to ask, um, you know, at the, the end of a, a busy day with school board business, do you have a favorite uh, beer or cocktail or other beverage that you like to unwind with? Well, I'm pretty, I'm pretty boring with my beverage choices, <laughs> but when I do kind of splurge and get something fun, I'm kind of a... a a fruity frozen drink girl so uh, nothing beats to me a good frozen margarita i just oh, that that'll that'll do it anytime that and some chips and salsa that's a great after work kind of snack yeah that's that's awesome i uh, recently got a uh, a blender and that was actually my first time i could make margaritas yeah. <laughs> yeah priorities so you know of course forget <laughs> smoothies and healthy things right. yes, but yeah. <laughs> that came later but i was like you guys yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome uh well jackie thanks so much of course for your service on the school board uh and thanks for for hanging out with us tonight sure you're welcome thanks for having me again absolutely of course folks will be sharing information and links on our social media including where you can watch those school board meetings uh live from your from your home uh so go ahead and stay tuned Uh, up next after the break we will end things with our take action moment of the night uh you are listening to bouts and brews here on ksf 785 live radio folks for tonight's take action moment we are actually taking a moment uh, to reflect um, really on the continuing fight for racial and social justice happening um, across the country but also right here in top city uh, you know this week I along with scores of uh, folks uh, just like you out there and other folks across the country um, were really heartened to see accountability uh, come to Derek Chauvin the Minneapolis police officer who murdered uh, George Floyd um, I choose the word accountability instead of justice because as many people point out full justice will actually come when we can dismantle the systems of racism and oppression that continue to endanger black lives every day in our country and indeed right here in our community Uh, this week's verdict was important but it is just one step on a much larger journey um, that we still have to take Um, so beyond our words and social media posts what, what can we really do here in our community how can we make sure that we are building the kind of Topeka and Shawnee County where black lives truly do matter. Uh, There's lots of answers to that question, um, but I'll offer a few suggestions of things that you can take advantage of here locally uh, to begin that journey. Um, First, of course, we'll start with those organizations who are already doing work on social and racial justice. So we've talked about some of these on the show before, but just as some reminders, um, here in Topeka, that includes uh, organizations like the YWCA, who have long been committed uh, to those ideas of uh, racial uh, justice, social justice, equity, those kinds of issues, and they, for years, have really served as the experts in those areas in our community. And I encourage you to follow them on social media. They are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and always, always, always putting out relevant and important information. Um, They also host uh, regular events, everything from, um, in the past, they've hosted uh, virtual book uh, book club discussions um, uh, that focus on books related to racism and social justice, Um, trainings on these topics as well. Um, They've had multiple training opportunities on 
that. Um, as well as other events um, for uh, for people across our community. They have, I think, right now an Emerging Leaders uh, class that they're having folks sign up for, which is actually a program that's geared at women um, who are just getting started um, in their um, in their fields, in management positions and that sort of thing. Um, so they're constantly always offering programming that's uh, focused on issues of racial and social justice um, in our community. So I encourage you to uh, to follow their efforts and to become involved with them. Um, there is also, of course, a local chapter of Black Lives Matter here in Topeka that you can support and you can become involved with. They regularly issue calls to action um, with very specific and concrete things that people can do. Um, they are most active um, as far as what I've seen on Instagram in terms of the social media channels. Um, they have a pretty um, active uh, Instagram presence that you can follow and keep up to date, um, especially when they have their anytime they have a call to action or something that they um, that the public can help with, they post it right there on their Instagram page. Um, there are also organizations in town too, like the Topeka Center for Peace and Justice um, that you can connect with, and their whole mission is to really bridge those divides in our community. They've been around for a while and have done some really um, amazing work, and they have an active Facebook page in addition to a website as well. Um, and of course, each of these organizations would welcome involvement from other in the community and as always we will post um, the links that we're talking about here for all these organizations and all this work will be posted on our Ballots and Brews social media uh, so that's just another plug if you're not following us on social media be sure to do so so you can catch the links to, uh, to this information. Uh, when it comes to police accountability uh, locally there are several steps that the city has taken um, that you as a citizen can hold them to. Um, recently the city started something called the Office of the Police Auditor um, this is an individual that operates outside the police department that acts as an alternative source for people to report disputes or challenges when it comes to the Topeka Police Department. Um, that role is really emboldened um, to be able and empowered um, to be able to take action on those things. Um, they, uh, they have the ability to do everything from launching their own investigations. They can review all investigations regarding use of force um, by uh, TPD um, and lots of other investigatory powers and oversight powers and really designed to kind of be a check um, by the public on the powers of the police department. The current police department, uh, current police auditor um, is Ed Colazzo. Um, if you actually go to topeka.org slash city manager slash police dash auditor, um, you'll find Ed's contact information on there as well as more information about the office in general, how you can report things to them and that sort of thing. Um, so I encourage you to learn more about that role to reach out to Mr. Colazzo if you have questions, concerns, or want to be more involved um, with his work. All the information is right there on that website, topeka.org slash citymanager slash police.auditor. Um, the city also, and of course you heard us talk uh, with the city manager a couple weeks ago about this, the city does have a police and community committee. Um, that is a subcommittee of the city council. Uh, it consists of council members Mike Padilla, Sylvia Ortiz, and Karen Hiller. Um, that committee um, has been tasked uh, to listen to community members um, over the last uh, almost half a year now, I think, um, and draft recommendations um, to the city council on further steps the city can take to improve how the, the police department operates. Um, I do know that committee is getting close um, to 
putting together their final recommendations um, for city council, but there is still time to um, reach out to them. So I encourage you to reach out to any of those um, council members, whether it's uh, Mike Padilla, Sylvia Ortiz, or Karen Hiller, um, and let them uh, know your thoughts as well. Um, they This committee has been uh, hard at work. They've heard from lots of people and reviewed lots of information. Um, and you can actually see, if you go to topeka.org slash city council slash police dash community, you can actually see all the presentations that committee has had, all the information they've been able to review, as well as minutes from all their meetings. Um, you can keep real up to date with all the, the work that that committee is doing um, online. So that's topeka.org slash city council slash police dash community, uh, where you can find all that information. And then, of course, finally, we have to ensure that our black citizens have fair and equitable access to vote. Um, and as we've seen in the mess that was this last national election and in the mess that continues to be uh, legislatures around the country, including right here in Kansas, I'm doing everything they can to make it harder in many cases uh, for, for black people, for poor people, for, for other folks uh, from disadvantaged groups um, to vote. You know, we know that this issue of equitable access to voting um, is even more important um, than ever before. Um, as we've mentioned on this show, and we're going to continue to mention, uh, this year is an election year. It is a very important election year. We have city council races on the ballot, as well as the mayor's race that's on the ballot this year. Uh, these local races, as we've talked about, have huge impacts on our daily life, especially when it comes to furthering issues of equity and social justice. So now, us here at Ballots and Brews, we just may have some initiatives coming up this summer that you'll be able to help with um, with regards to uh, voter uh, turnout getting out the vote um, in the, both the city primary in August and then, of course, later in the fall with general elections. So we encourage you um, to check that work out when it comes, when those opportunities come out. Um, but we also encourage you to check out um, our partners, our friends over at Loudlight. You know, we've had Davis Hammond on here before to talk about the work that Loudlight's done. They do a lot of really great trainings um, and really great opportunities for people to learn how to uh, help people um, become involved in the process, how to help people um, uh, register to vote, th that kind of information. Um, so I encourage you to, to follow them on social media and check out their website as well. Um, as well as, of course, the League of Women Voters, uh, which is not, in fact, the scary organization that the Kansas legislature uh, tried to make it out to be uh, this last spring, um, but they do, really do phenomenal work um, in Shawnee County and throughout the state um, to engage people on, on issues in upcoming elections and teach people you know, how to register to vote, where to vote, all that really important work. Um, so they, of course, will have things going on over the next year as well that I encourage you to, uh, to get in touch with. And that, folks, it that is it for tonight. Um, and, you know, lots of really important work happening um, with regards to these issues of, of equity um, and social justice and racial justice in our community. And it's going to be hard work. Um, and it's going to be work that, that, quite honestly, takes a long time. And it's going to be work that we don't always get right. Um, and that's something that we, I think, have to uh, come to terms with as a community is that we're not going to right out the gate just have all the answers and do everything right. It's going to be a continual learning experience, but we can't get there if we don't start. Um, so rather it's, you know, you pursuing any of the opportunities we've talked about on here or something that you find yourself, wherever it is, we encourage you to start that work um, and to begin that work with others in the community. 
Uh, folks, as always, thank you so much for spending time with us tonight, for, for taking time to, to learn, to drink some good beer, to laugh along the way. Um, if you haven't already, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at, at Ballots Brews on Twitter uh, to stay up to date with all the latest information. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts as well if you haven't already, and even leave us a review if you feel so inclined on Apple Podcasts. Um, so as we wrap up today, like we always say, Please, please, please be safe. Wash your hands, wear your mask, get your vaccine, uh, keep up your social distancing, drink some good beer, and we'll see you next week here on Ballots and Brews on KSAP 785 Live Radio. Help me, please.